Hey, welcome back to the Blue Collar Off-Road Podcast, episode 84. So we got, uh, a, I mean, 11,000 people follow you. Uh, so Stainless Jeeper on Instagram, also known as Corey Marchant. He does some pretty cool stuff. He's got a bunch of cool Jeeps, um, a Comanche buggy thing. It's barely a Comanche. I think you just have the front clip, and that's not even a Comanche front clip. Yeah. Uh <laughs> and then an LSYJ it looks like which also looks pretty clean uh, obviously you're spending more time beating the buggy up and I don't know I'll, I'll let you elaborate on that um, yeah on, on uh, which one do you want everything. to yeah which one do you want to start with they're both pretty deep rabbit holes so. well just start from the beginning honestly tell us kind of how you got into wheeling where yeah. you're from all that kind of stuff which yeah, team came so, first, and have they been like? Have, is that all you have, or have you had? A, I'm I'm sure you've had other ones that no longer exist, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, kind of to start, um, I started off with a two wheel drive '96 Ford Ranger that I would take out and get stuck in farmers' fields and little town called Lee Summit, Missouri, um, constantly getting stuck, stuff like that went off to college and I had, uh, some friends and, um, my cousin in particular, he was in a, a local Jeep club. Uh, and that was, you know, back before Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And so that was like the cool kid thing. And I always wanted to be, you know, in the Jeep club. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, I got on Craigslist and started looking at like Cherokees and stuff like that. And, um, kind of, you know, that was back when you could find pretty decent, you know, 500 to a thousand dollar Cherokees and stuff. So I, uh, I threw my, my Ranger up on Craigslist and met a dude at a Greyhound bus station. He took a bus from Mexico and bought my, my Ranger and, and drove it back. And I, uh, the next day went up and picked a, a super clean, uh, 89, Cherokee limited black and gold uh old lady blew up the transfer case in it and that was kind of where that started uh like most new jeepers immediately you know went to mud bogs and you know did all that kind of nonsense and realized very quickly that uh it as fun as mudding is working on it after the fact really really sucks mm -hmm. and uh so started you know looking into doing mods and found like Jeep forum and, and all that. And kind of really took to the, the fabrication side of, of some of these builds. Like I, you know, got deep into the, the hardcore section on Jeep forum, which led to pirate and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, while in college, super broke, I picked up a cheap, you know, 130 amp, flux core welder and started building stuff for it um let's see blew the motor in it twice uh out messing around in in forest roads and and stuff like that kind of really like dove deep into the whole jeep culture with that with that cherokee and that kind of really solidified like trying to learn as much as i could about you know jeep history and you know the and you know, like became a real enthusiast with that Jeep. Um, it's quite the rabbit but, hole. And the Cherokees yeah. are such an easy... I mean, I'm sure Wranglers are too, but 
uh, and I think we're in the same boat. All of us are, most of us are, I'd imagine, where, you know, the Cherokee was just the, that's the one that got you started, and there's just so much, so many details you can find online, either from Pirate, like you said, or uh, some Facebook groups. We've talked about that plenty, about how iffy that is. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, you, well, <laughs> you can get really sucked in. Yeah, and it's like, you know, that was 2007-ish. Um, and so, like, they were just such a good, like, entry point, you know, price-wise. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the two motors I blew up, I bought two Cherokees both times to get a motor out of them. And I paid less than 500 bucks for both of those. And so, you know, for a broke college kid, like, it was great. You know, yeah, you could... Yeah, they were a great entrance. Yeah. So, um, and, and they were so easy to find parts for and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that even, was kind of... Go ahead. Even with everything kind of drying up and them getting more expensive, it's still not hard to find a transfer case. Like, I'm looking for a spare, and I think I'm going to pick one up for 120 bucks. It's like, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That's expensive for a fucking transfer case. Not when right. it's old and ready to go in the truck. Fair, but, I mean, it, does it already have an SYE? Lord, no. The $120 oh, yeah. transfer case. That's what I'm saying, dude. You can pick those up for like 50 bucks up here in Mass. I don't think I've ever paid for one. I've always just, like, somebody's always had one and I've just snagged it. <laughs> I don't know that many people with that many spares. I don't either. You just have to know Sean. He, has, he always has one for me. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I am not. That's, that's coming back to, like, the availability stuff of these kind of things nowadays. Like, I remember, like, Dana 35s, you know, you pull out of somebody's trash bin. My father-in-law blew up the rear end in his tj and i spent like four weeks trying to find one and ended up just putting new gears in it because everybody wanted like 250 bucks for a dana 35 because it bolts into a tj like that's garbage (laughs) what is going on that's insane so yeah so anyways that uh that was kind of that i really quickly realized that the cherokee uh you know wasn't wasn't the cool jeep you know this was like mm-hmm. <laughs> again the whole jeep club thing um you know everybody had tjs and you know lj's were the big thing back then and, and so you know i really wanted a tj uh and so i you know saved up and, and bought one um and that was like head first into suspension design and my own you know learned how to paint and like that jeep was really what solidified uh really wanting to build all my own stuff and and kind of like the pride in in fabrication and uh, that jeep started out you know bone stock and and eventually it was custom three link custom four link eight eight you know as a wj steering swap on a high pinion 30 locked 488s i built my own highline fenders you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was, you know, one of those, it was like the first real true build and like taking it out four wheeling and seeing what it could do and like getting the people's reaction to when it would do something cool. Cause it was doing, you know, a lot of the buggy trails out at like Southern Missouri off-road ranch and, and stuff like that, that it was like, okay, this is really cool. And you know, being able to build it myself is, is like 
kind of what I love about Jeeps and stuff, honestly. Yep. Building yourself and being able to use it for what it's, like, intended, too. Yeah, yeah, going through the whole process of, like, you know, learning the design, building the parts, going out, beating on it, breaking it, fixing it, like, all the trail repairs and, like, all the memories around that kind of stuff is, you know, it's, it's what really, like, what I'm truly passionate about, like the sport is, is that type of stuff where it's, you're in the woods with your buddies breaking stuff. How are you going to get back to the camp? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Like the obstacles are fun, but honestly, you remember this crazy stories of like crazy recoveries, uh, more than, more than a lot of that kind of stuff. Is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Another part that I really like about off-roading is you don't lose seat time the further you progress with it, right? Like, you know, if you're a drag racer, the quicker your car is, the less time you spend driving it. That's, yeah. Uh, I've never thought of that ever, but that makes a <laughs> lot of sense. Holy fuck. <laughs> I think the only motorsport that is comparable for maintaining seat time would possibly be drifting, but I don't even know if it maintains the same level of uh, seat time, and we'll get into that later. Well, but. depends, because the more you get into it, the more power you want, then you want more grip, and then tires become three times more expensive, so technically you probably would lose seat time especially if you start doing drift events because then you have to i don't know that we can talk about that more but that's (laughs) if you look at tire wear too i think that's the big thing on on like progressing and drifting is you can take a simple like stock power seat time car and you can do 100 laps on a set of tires whereas you look at like fd they get two laps on a set of tires and then they got to change you know so i i I I think you're right as far as off road is is that you know seat time, and not to mention the more like if you go let's say dirt biking for in, like just to throw it out there the motors are so volatile on those that after a few few races or whatever it like it blows up so you can only ride it so much until it blows up so that's kind of a good whereas like you know you just slap another four liter and if the four liter goes or if you're feeling really ballsy you drop an ls in and away you go again yeah um so can we start talking about the manchi because that thing is really so cool that that was like um basically the tj kind of got to a point where uh, I was breaking it every time I wheeled it because it was still, you know, Dana 30, 36 inch TSLs with steel bead lumps. Uh, so I, I blew up the front end like six, six in a row. Um, and I was like fed up at that point. Uh, and so, but it worked really well for what it was. I just was out driving what it was capable of. And I didn't have the funds for like RCVs or, anything like that i didn't want to one ton swap that jeep because of like all the design that went into the suspension was based around wheeling stock wheelbase on 36 and like that kind of stuff Uh, and i got the buggy bug like i was all in ready to build a buggy take the jump and so i sold that tj and started buying parts for the buggy well dropped out of college 
uh, moved to Texas, started doing, uh, you know, the stainless steel fabrication stuff and the buggy, like I didn't make any progress towards that goal for like two years. And so I had acquired all these parts uh, that were just sitting in a chicken shed. <laughs> and so I was like, I got to buy another Jeep and I'm just going to throw all this stuff on and I'm going to wheel until I can afford to build the buggy because I wanted to do LS swap and Atlas transfer case and, you know, fancy stuff. So I threw a post up on Facebook, you know, hey, who do I know that has a $500 Comanche? And uh, a friend of mine sent a picture. It was a two-wheel drive, four-cylinder uh, with a blown motor that was picked up at an insurance, uh, a tow yard. And uh, so I hauled it back to, to Texas from Missouri, and that's kind of where that started. Uh, unfortunately for the Comanche, I couldn't get the buggy out of my head. And so I had acquired like a small block Chevy on propane. Didn't really fit with the manifolds that I had. So I cut the firewall out and then I had, you know, an SM465 with Dana 300. Well, that didn't really fit with, um, you know, the floors. So I cut that out and like the progression of the buggy is for the, the Comanche is that's in my way, cut it up until I got to the point where it is today, where it's literally the B pillar sheet metal. Um, <laughs> and, and literally that's it. Like I, I got to a point where, you know, I was trying to build suspension brackets off the unibody and that was the only thing left. It was like a cow, the frame rails from the firewall to the back of the cab and that was it. I'm like, what am I doing? Like at this point, it's been like five years of me just trying to get a rig together. Like it's going to be a buggy. Like we're just going all in. So I cut everything off from the rocker down and just, it kind of blew up from there into a full buggy at this point. It's kind of so, hard to believe that you even started with a Comanche. I'll be honest, I guess you're right, so, it's just those B-pillars. I get so much crap online, like, every time <laughs> I post. It's comical at this point. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, you know, it's almost, like, rolly sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, when I post something, you know, like, new groups pop up on Facebook constantly. And, you know, if you're in the off-road scene, you're always getting invited to random things and stuff. And, you know, so I'll throw a picture of the buggy up or a video or whatever, and there'll at least be three comments. That's not even a Comanche. Like, why'd you cut up a, like, you know, why'd you cut up a Comanche? They're so rare and hard to find. Like those people just come out in droves. Oh, yeah, and, it, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's funny because it's been so many times that, you know, I just kind of shrug it off or whatever, but my wife gives me a hard time even about it too. Cause I'll call it a Jeep or I'll call it, the Comanche or whatever. And, uh, she's like, it's a buggy. Yeah. It's, it's a buggy. You're not allowed to call it a Jeep anymore. And, <laughs> and you know, like your uh, mentioned earlier, the grill is a narrowed grill off of a, a 99. Um, the motor is a 96. The transmission is a AX 15 out of a, a 99 or a 98. Um, TJ. So it's like mm, almost no Comanche left. 
it's got the oh. whole, the back panel too a little bit. Yeah, and I, and that was the thing. Like, you know, I didn't want to build just a exo caged Comanche. Um, I've always had a hard time with like the exo cage being too far off the body and stuff. And so I had this really cool idea of Frenching a tube into the sheet metal. And so it'll be kind of be like a hybrid exo, but not, you know, super wide. Yep. Uh, what I didn't realize when I started cutting things apart is Comanches are not flat or square. And so you're trying to make, you know, two perfectly inset into this body that's round in three directions. Yeah. Uh, and so I, and I didn't have a tubing roller or anything like that at the time. So I literally just said, okay, well, I guess the roof's coming off. Okay. I guess the cow's <laughs> coming out because it, it like didn't fit in the vision that I had. And so instead of trying to make it, you know, work, yeah, it, it, it would look weird that. to leave the, the bo- I know what you're saying. Cause they do have those subtle, like you think of a Cherokee or a Comanche and you think they're like these boxy vehicles, but then you actually go and try to work on them. And I know exactly what you're saying is there's so many more subtle curves to everything that you just don't even notice till you try to put tube on it. You realize yeah. it's not a shoe box. It's closer to a toaster. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so that is kind of where the escalation started with, with trying to get that, um, you know, all the tubing inset and stuff. And then like I started cutting so much off. I was like, well, I still need this to look kind of like a Comanche. Otherwise all this was dumb and pointless. And so all the body lines dimensionally, the same as a Comanche and, uh, and like I, I spent a lot of time trying to kind of maintain that and it, it uh it I'm really happy with like how it how it came out like it looks sick it's super unique uh, and it all you know it gets a pretty big reaction everywhere pretty much everywhere it goes which is fun uh it, I wish I didn't spend six years building it um but you know it's it's been great since then so so you said you had a 350 on propane, but I thought you'd said earlier it's got a 4 liter. How'd that end up shaking out? Yeah, so uh, about halfway through the buggy process, uh, you know, the whole idea originally was I just need to get a Jeep and, and throw all these parts on it so I can go wheeling. Because it had been like five years since I sold my TJ at this point. And so I bought, a, I bought another Cherokee that was totally clapped out but it was on a 44 9 inch had a 231 300 doubler uh, arb uh 44 um in the front and spooled in the rear like 35 inch bfgs it was super cheap i think i paid like uh and it was just like okay i need something to wheel it this way too long i just i need it (laughs) and so i wheeled that for um like a summer and i i kept shredding the bfgs because they were the old like the original style bfg mud terrains and so they were like 10 years old at this point um and it had like i said it had the the 40 with the 231 300 doubler and i was like you know what like that's a way better combo than this old small block on propane with the sm465 and stock 300 
like the gearing will will work better dimensionally it fits better i'm going to sell this propane setup and and you know this drivetrain setup and i'm going to just pull the motor out of the cherokee and that's kind of where we went back to the 40 aw4 231 300 uh which you know fast forward another year i realized that i didn't want to wheel an automatic i've always been a manual guy and one of the things that I hated about that Cherokee was wheeling the automatic, and you know, I just kind of felt so. You, so you swapped it back. I swapped it to an AX15. Okay, but so uh, I guess I'm uh, I'm just trying to put the pieces together right because this is a six year build. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you had an auto in it initially, or it came with one. Or you, yeah, the, just, the, the whole drivetrain was swapped at this point. Yeah, the whole drivetrain was swapped. Okay. Um, and the, so I pulled the, the AW4, and while that was all apart, I had a buddy that had, um, he had just bought an Atlas and then decided that he was going to just buy a fully built uh, buddy instead of building his team. I bought that off of him. And got rid of the 231 Um And so at this point, I'm at a 4.0 AX15 and Atlas with a 4.3. Um, and that's what's in it uh, in it today. That's the combo that I, I finally settled on. One of the hangups with the 231-300 was I really didn't want to run a two-piece drag shaft. Uh, and the way I had designed all my suspension at that point... Um, the lower control arm mounts are going to be right in the way of a, of a single piece drive shaft. Mm-hmm. But I was trying, like I was trying to clear 16 inch coilovers, um, which was going to make it really hard to get enough droop out of that front drive shaft uh, with that setup. Um, and like I said, this I was popped up and um, was able to kind of sell a bunch of other random stuff that I had collected that I decided I wasn't going to use to kind of fund fund that um so that's kind of so that's a drivetrain we landed on um at that point i had built a shop moved it into the shop and kind of really committed to getting it done uh or so i thought um and kind of worked on it for a little while decided I really wanted to go like trailing arm rear and get a ton of travel out of it. Cause this was when reports really starting to blow up and, and you were still seeing a lot of kind of the grassroots side of it where people were putting build threads on pirates still. And, and uh, so I was, I was watching a lot of that and I thought, you know, a trailing arm suspension would be a ton of fun to build. And um, that kind of, put the build on pause for like a year while I was, you know, following all that, learning as much as I could. Um, funny thing is I, I decided for some reason to be contrarian, I guess that I was going to do upper control arm trailing arms instead of lowers, you know, the big issue with lower control arm uh, with having your trailing arm on the lower is having the, shock mounted below the center line of the of the control arm to keep the the uh, trailing arm to from flopping around 
mm-hmm. but that creates a huge rock anchor. Um, and so I had thought, well, like it's not a rock racer. It's, you know, it's still just gonna be fun. It's just a four O powered Jeep after all. Let's try this upper control arm thing. And at the time, um, there was only like one guy who was even talking about it. I can't even remember who it was at this point, but he was getting all kinds of flack about it. Like that's never going to work. You're going to have crazy body roll. Um, you know, you need to have a little bit of angle in your pillovers so that you can control body roll and like all this stuff. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, but it looks way cooler because <laughs> the way the way my upper control arms are, are oriented in the chassis, you can pretty much see the whole upper control arm from the side of the Jeep. Um, and you know, I was like really just interested in trying something like I said, maybe to be contrarian, I guess. But what's cool is like now you look at ultra four and there's tons of guys running, um, their trailing arms on the uppers, like all the UFO cars, uh, Lauren Healy's new Bronco, has it. I mean, a lot of these guys are the, you know, the IRS stuff, uh, but uh, Casey Curry and his trophy Jeep is uh, his upper trailing arm. Uh, the early criticism was 100% correct that, like, you can't control body roll. Uh, the first time I had it all together, I drove it around the property with no, no sway bar. And as soon as you turned, uh, the body roll was so bad it bottomed out both con- uh, both coilovers. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. And I run, so kind of diving into the setup, it's 16-inch coilovers in the front, 16-inch rear on the trailing arm. So I have 24 inches of rear travel. And I'm set up 50% up and down. So when it body rolled, um, you know, I had 12 inches of up travel to flop over. Uh, wow. That first time it was like it was so sketchy. Um, so yeah, I mean you definitely have to have a sway bar. There's no way I could could, could run it without it. But um, I just have an anti rock that I cut the arms down uh, to the right motion ratio. It's relatively flawless. Other than uh, yeah, thing. I didn't even notice that until you mentioned it. Holy. Now I'm looking. Me too. Cool I'm watching setup. a video, bro. What? I never realized that your your uppers were your Holy shit, my yeah, mind that's is what blown. he just described. Yeah, that's what I'm fucking saying. I've, never, I've, I've been following his rig for a while, and I never noticed that until right now I'm watching a video of him coming up something, and like, dude, that's fucking wild. Yeah, that's one of the things that I love about this rig and how it all turned out is like that reaction right there, you know, because I'll go wheel with, you know, random strangers, and, you know, it's cool. It's a buggy, like, most of the people that I wheel with are used to wheeling with buggies, you know, and at this yeah. point, most people like it's not like it's not 10 years ago where not very many people have them mm. right but when i pull up on you know a waterfall or something and flex that rear end out it's always the same reaction like holy shit that's insane uh, because nobody you don't really pay attention you don't yeah that's it so yeah it's a fun rig and it's done a lot of it's done a lot of crazy climbs that, um, you know, I wouldn't have expected it to do. A lot of people didn't expect to do because of all that rear travel. Um, and I spent a lot of time on that suspension design, getting it to where it's not just 
droop travel. You know, like a trophy truck has 30 inches of, of wheel travel, but their sway bars are so stiff. It's not like they have all that in articulation. Mm-hmm. I have the full 24 inches of wheel travel fully articulated. So it's a crazy amount of flex um, that lets, lets me do stuff that a lot of, a lot of guys that I, that I wheel with have a hard time with, uh, which is always cool. All right, so you, you spent a bunch of time on this uh, on on the rear suspension, uh, and it sounds like it works really well. But if you had, if there was one thing you could tweak on it, that like minor or major, to make it do something slightly different, would you, or would you leave it exactly as is? I mean, you did spend a long time tuning it, but you know, sometimes what you find on paper isn't what actually works in reality. So, always interesting. Yeah, so suspension-wise, uh, I'm really happy with with how everything works. Um, there's honestly nothing that I would change at this point. Uh, I had to redo uh, like my rear lower uh, control arm cross member. Um, it only lasted like two wheeling trips, and that was simply because I didn't reinforce it enough. Um, but design-wise, it's been it's been flawless. Like I said. Uh, I've been through four iterations of like the sway bar configuration mm-hmm. uh, because like originally it was on the stock, uh, the stock anti-rock end links, which is just a single shear uh, Heim with like all thread. And mm-hmm. I kept twisting those. Um, and so I built like double shear mounts and then I started breaking the Himes. And so I built um, links out of inch and a quarter Dom. And then I started twisting the arms on the control or on the, uh, on the sway bar itself. And so now it's the sway bar arms are double shear. The sway bar links are inch and a quarter with, three quarter Himes. And then I was able to actually shout out to uh, busted knuckle off road. I was looking at some of their buggy pictures and noticed they run the same sway bar and trailing arm kind of configuration where I have the sway bar in the front of the control arm with a really, really short arm and a short link. And then it's mounted directly to the trailing arm. And I was like, man, I cannot get these links to survive. Like, what are you guys doing? And he, you know, sent me a direct message like, Hey, here's a picture. You know, we run it with opposite orientation on the heim. So you got one heim point in front to back and one heim point in side to side. And that allows the heim to rotate uh, with the trailing arm itself. Uh, And we've, you know, had zero issue. And so I cut it all apart and I haven't had a single problem since then. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I think it's like fourth iteration um, because they, they just like the Himes could not handle that much articulation. Uh, so makes sense. That would be, that's really the only suspension wise um, that I've had issue with. I'm always wishing I had, you know, better, uh, you know, better shocks by coilovers. They're just cheap FOAs mm-hmm. um, that have never been rebuilt or tuned. And so the, 
compression's a little bit soft and I never like finished the uh, the buggy itself. So like it doesn't have air bumps, it doesn't have limit straps. So like there's there's yeah, there's some of that stuff that needs to be addressed. Um, but uh, it definitely needs uh, some shock tuning because like the compression's way too soft. And so like I blow through all 12 inches of travel um, really quickly if I'm trying to, um, you know, like hill climb or something like that and hit a big ledge, I'll blow through all that travel, um, so, which is a bummer. I'm really new to the coilover um, area, but is that potentially an issue with the spring rate and or is it a shock issue in and of itself? It's a well, valving. It's a valving issue. So well, when I bought, I mean, when I bought the, sorry, no, you're good. You're good. When I bought those coilovers, you know, I had never intended to running on trailing arms. And so they're literally just their basic valve for putting them on a, a Jeep chassis, you know, yeah. so they're not valved at all for what I'm using them for. Um, that's why the rear is so soft on the compression side because of the motion ratio of the, the trailing arm, yep. you know, so. Well, that's, that's what I was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, Cody. you're good. Because we were, me and Luke were on the same point of like, think of it like the people who do the wishbone setups, like um, on like cars nowadays. They have to realize that like the most. Well, that's different though because actually no, it wouldn't be. It's just the opposite because you're making it like the lever action, um, so it's producing more force to the control arm. So it kind of makes sense on what Luke was saying, where he was thinking it was a spring. But do you think valving would really help with the actual compression of it? Yeah, because it's um, so valving in the in the coilover itself is is all about controlling shaft speed. So okay. it bottoms out very quickly on hard impacts, right? So I need to be able to slow that shaft speed down um, fast enough, right? So the valve stack that's on the compression side is just too thin. Um, the it's basically their they call it their crawler setup so it's a it's a really light spring stack because it's not designed for high speed anything so the spring rates themselves uh i i believe are, are really good um they i had um accutune uh spec it all out and they nailed it right out of the box as far as ride height goes and and preloads and, and all that kind of stuff even with trim yeah, it's it's definitely a, a Oh, that's really fucking cool. Yeah, I learned something there because my initial reaction when um, I hear that is I want to go to a heavier spring to help to slow down the compression side or crank the preload down further, uh, so that way you're hitting the heavier, lower spring as you're going through everything. Yeah, that, I mean, that helps to a certain extent. Like I've got dual rate sliders and, and, and rate stops and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it doesn't make as big of a difference as you think, because most of the, most of house like coilovers are spec'd out nowadays. Like it's a pretty light spring. Um, it's, I remember back in the day, people were running like 300, 400 pound springs kind of along, I think the same thought process that you have now is you're trying to use the spring to control the shock, which is not what the shock is supposed to be doing. Uh, and so now you want a light spring 
uh, basically the lightest spring you can get to control the ride height of the Jeep. Uh, and a lot of, a lot of guys use the valving inside the shock. Now we kind of understand how all that works a lot more, I think. And you get into like bypasses and, and how stuff has evolved with ultra four and, you know, people are using the valving side to control, you know, cause like I said, you're controlling shaft speed. And so all, all the suspension movement can be broke down to that, you know, shaft speed, whether it's a big impact is a fast shock speed, right? So you're yeah. trying to slow that down and you're trying to slow it down in progression, um, you know, so that it's soft in the middle. And as it gets deeper into the travel, it, it stiffens up. And that's where like bypass shanks come into play um, and stuff like that. But you're that's interesting and different. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not different, but it's you know kind of. Kind of I, I think I think it's it's just kind of counterintuitive because, like you said, you you think about you know you want to stiffen the ride, so you put a heavier spring on. Like it, that's, I think, the intuitive way to think about it. So um, there's some really, and that's where like pirate and and even Facebook to an extent has really totally shaped my whole progression in this sport is just like trying to consume as much information as possible. And, you know, you see something that might not be relevant on some random Facebook group. I'll almost always read the post and read through all the time just because of that little nugget. Like if I hadn't done that, I never, I probably wouldn't have solved my sway bar issue because it was some random thread that Jake Berkey had posted on with pictures of his buggy. And I noticed the sway bar, you know what I mean? Like, just trying to be thirsty for as much knowledge as you can uh, and just consuming stuff that does, might not even be relevant. Um, yeah. It's kind of what's got me where I'm at. Well, that's always the fun for me. That's always been the fun part about it is checking out what other people have done and then taking that and applying it to whatever you're building and like mm-hmm. the good parts, right? It's not everybody. Everybody's got different ideas on how they want something to work, but sometimes it, you're right. It really is. Um, sometimes people will come up with a really creative way to solve something or just a, a, just a superior method to whatever else anybody else is doing. And it may not be something everybody recognizes and you can just, you know, that's, I agree. That's, that's a really fun part that I enjoy as well as, uh, especially for like tube work and other stuff and trying to figure out how I want to spin something to make it my own, uh, while also like taking all the, you know, what somebody else has done and kind of, incorporating it because I like the way it looks or how it performs or you know whatever it is depending on the the project there yeah I I would agree with that and like I was talking with a couple of people and my cage is the way it is because I was talking with people and they said that it wasn't going to cause an issue um, if it was all sleeved and so far so good you know yeah your cage is uh, definitely a um, a hot topic, or was a hot topic at Club <laughs> XJ for a solid uh, week or so. Oh yeah, it was. You were getting a lot of shit for that thing. It was, but then like, you know, no one can actually point out what was wrong with it, which was kind of like my favorite part about that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just, I don't know, it's lazy. It's just, it, <laughs> not that it's bad. I mean, it's easy to, uh, it's tight to the body because of the way you built it, but uh, 
you know, <laughs> at first glance, it just looks lazy. <laughs> I And, like, I can understand how that comes about, but I also kind of, like, really like that older uh, style of cage building that was being done on some of the, what was it? It was the dirt track cars, and some of the really early uh, full-tube buggies were built in a very similar style. And I just kind of like that older, like, look to it especially because the rig itself is kind of like a haggard rock crawler but you're so, bucks, a lot more people died back then with those cages than they do now just saying yeah. <laughs> you know i would really really like to entertain you on that <laughs> but until you have a cage i can't <laughs> hey you know jeep spent a lot of money designing that toaster all right you fucking back off you know <laughs> just kidding I uh, know. Um, so, well, hold on. Let me let me throw in a question. Y'all been talking this whole time. So, you have two Jeeps, you have a crawler, and you have a drift car. Yep. Do you just hate money? Is that what it is? Like you just you just like turning it into fumes or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not great at making sound financial decisions. <laughs> well, at least you didn't buy a 240 because then you would just be throwing money away for no reason. I'm yeah. happy to see it's at least an E30, wait, E46 or E36. Now I'm double. It's an E36, yeah. That's awesome. So, what kind of got you into that from wheeling? Uh, so I've kind of progressed to a point in my wheeling that you know, I mean, it's 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 escalated a lot from you know the Jeep Cherokee days and stuff, and so. You know, now I've got a full dually pickup with a big enclosed trailer and and stuff like that. And, like, taking the buggy out, you know, you've got to go to certain trails and you can't street drive it. And, and I found that I wasn't using it as much as I, you know, thought I was going to or wish I was or, or whatever. And it, all, it, it always became such a production to get out, like, even for a day. Um, you know, you got to prep all week before and load up the night before. And it's, you know, all the, I don't know. It just, it, it started to feel like a huge production every time I go wheeling. And so I was trying to find something automotive that had enough of a local scene that, you know, I wasn't doing these six hour drives to, to wheel all the time. Or, you know, going back to, like, Southern Missouri Off-Road Ranch, one of my favorite places. Uh, that's a 14-hour drive. And I try to go at least once a year. Um, and Hot Springs, same thing. That's, like, 16 hours from where I'm here. Um, so, I just started, like I said, looking at other auto auto stuff. And, um, you know, the autocross. And there's a couple, you know, like, we got Pike, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb here. And so, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but that's like a really hard thing to get into money wise. And there's a pretty big drift scene here. And so just kind of started going to local events and thought, okay, this looks like a lot of fun. Um, it reminds me a lot of um, like rock bouncing, honestly, where you just mm -hmm. go out and you beat on your car constantly for hours and uh you break it, drag it back to the trailer, Jimmy rig a fix and go out and beat on it some more. Uh, and it's like violent and it's loud 
And it, it reminds me of like why I built the buggy in the first place to just be over the top and, and, you know, to have as much fun as you can possibly have. And that's kind of what drifting is. Like it's, it's crazy how like one, what you can do to these cars, like just what the abuse that they'll take. Um, but it's, it's a ton of fun. And it reminds me a lot of, like I said, the fun parts of, of wheeling, you know? Um, but it's, it's got a, a good local scene, so I don't have oh, to yeah. drive super far. Now, on events, what's that? Have you won any events? No, so I'm like just getting into it. Like that E36 oh, is, okay. is my first car. Yeah. Um, so I'm still in the process building and I just go to events and like the cool thing about drifting in is that like, you can do ride alongs, right? So you literally show up with a helmet and you pay the event like an extra 10 bucks and you just stand there at the starting line and ask people to ride with you, you to ride oh, with them. Dope. And yeah, so you just go and, and have a blast while people beat on their cars. So. That's another really interesting tie-over uh, with the off-road scene because I've noticed uh, everywhere that I have ever wheeled, if I've ever had a major breakdown and had the rig be down so I couldn't wheel, there was always a seat open. Or you always knew that, uh, like, hey, I can't make it. I'm in the middle of doing my rear four-link build. Uh, can I catch a seat with you? I'm willing to drive to the event and all that and it seems like that's a cool part of the culture that is carried over between the two yeah one of my favorite wheeling memories is we were at s'more and there was like four or five of us in the group we had three rigs like totally broken couldn't wheel anymore and so we were just hanging out at the hills like watching people beat on their rigs and this group of guys from alabama showed up and it was some good old boy with a huge uh, blazer on like 44 inch TSLs and three of us jumped in his back seat and we wheeled for until like two o'clock in the morning and he had apple pie moonshine. We were just sitting in the back seat getting hammered while he just beat his rig relentlessly. And it was the most fun we had had on a wheeling trip in a long time because like we didn't have to care. These guys were crazy. They're feeding us moonshine. It's, and it's, there was no hesitation. Oh, your rigs broke down. Jump in mine. Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, it's some of the best part of the sport. Like, you know, there've been trips where when we were building Cody's rig, he would be riding in my one ton XJ. And then we would go back to the shop the next day after we got done with like, uh, going to Harris or wherever we were going and we'd be working on his rig yeah good times still doing that lately but you know it's all good <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah doesn't drift hq <clears throat> do a really really big event in colorado yeah um I, they do or is it a clutch kickers event that's really big out there no clutch kickers is florida um they have a grid life is, grid life yeah yeah a big event that they do it all over the country so the one here is in September, and yeah, I think you're right. Drift HQ comes out and sponsors it, and they get a ton of like FD drivers out here and YouTube people, and it's like a three-day automotive festival. And the cool thing about Grid Life is it's not just drifting. So they have um, time attack cars, they have rally cars. Uh, the 
place that they do it here in in Colorado has a full rally course and a road course, a drift course, an oval track. Like it's a huge automotive festival. Um, Main thing I remember from last year was they had Young Gravy there, who is like this like underground rapper that is just the most hysterical person to listen to. And I remember that they had they had him there. My buddy texted me. He was like, "We should have fucking went." They're like we could have seen some cool cars and listened to Young Gravy. I'm like, "Yeah, it sounds like a fucking jam." <laughs> It's pretty great, but like like the off road scene too. Pardon? Yeah, I I said drift people definitely know how to party like the off road scene too. Oh yeah, that they do, and so do rally drivers. I found out that's uh, another interesting little one of those sports that might end up edging in there with uh, drifting and wheeling for keeping seat time. Yeah, I didn't know that. what was it? Gridlock? Grid life. Uh, Grid life. Grid life. Um, did rally stuff. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's um, there's a guy out of Texas. His name's Dave. He, he runs a Texas uh, rally school in there in Houston. And, and I know he comes up and, and helps out. And they do like rallies and, and uh, they do a little rally cross competition uh, for the weekend and, and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. I think last year Ford was out there with the new Broncos. And so you had like Lauren Healy and, and Von Gittin were both there doing ride-alongs and, and demos and with, with the new Broncos on the rally course, which was pretty cool. That's sick. All right. So, so, uh, oh, oh. go ahead. We've been talking a lot about drifting and we can continue that, but we also have a YJ to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's definitely get into the YJ. It's like I said, the drifting's fun, and I'm just now getting into it, so there's not a whole lot to go there. But the the, the YJ is is uh, yeah, is, I, is one of probably my favorite build, honestly. So, what's the goal with that one? It it looks clean. Is it going to stay clean, or is it a, uh, a yeah? I don't know. What's what's up with that? Yeah. So, kind of you know what I mentioned before, as far as like what you know, wheeling had become with, with taking the buggy out and, and feeling like it was a big production. I missed having a street Jeep. Um, and you know, the, the Comanche, when I got it, had no title and that's the main reason I didn't feel. It. Yeah. So like, there's no chance it was ever going to be on. Plus it's 42 inch stickies on full hydro. Like it just wasn't ever going to be. And so, um, you know, I was always talking about getting ranked and, when I got married, um, my wife had secretly been saving all of her cash tips because she was a, a hairstylist at the time um, for a year and secretly bought this YJ um, and had it delivered to Texas. So she bought it here in California. We lived in tech or here in Colorado. We lived in Texas, got married in Texas. She had it shipped down there. And when we walked out of our reception, it was at the end of the driveway. What? Yeah, dude, it was nuts. And what was so crazy is like, I remember walking out and thinking, oh my God, how cool. She found somebody to let us borrow a Jeep. Because I always (laughs) talked about like, oh, you know, I really want to drive away from our wedding in a Jeep. Like, really cool. So I was super stoked thinking, 
yeah, she found some random person that let us borrow a Jeep and I got to drive away from the wedding in a Jeep. Like I always wanted to. And like, I leaned over and she's like, no, it's yours. And I was like, what? Yeah. So she, yeah, she's, she had bought it. She, uh, my now father-in-law went and looked at it, FaceTimed my best friend. Like they did all this stuff behind my back. Her grandpa (laughs) drove it, uh, from Colorado to, to Texas hit it at the wedding venue this whole time. And what's wild is she had, she had dropped like subtle hints all day. Hmm. So, um, you know, she had like a, a wedding photo book. Um, and she had taken, you know, pictures of herself and the Jeep was in it. Like she was posing on the Jeep and, and <laughs> I was like, Oh, cool. She posed on the Jeep. Like that's fucking badass. And then we have custom cakes made and she had bought a little white YJ, um, hot wheels. And I had an off-road themed Jeep where they built a mountain and there was a camp. Super sick. Um, and she had put the white YJ on the top of this little mountain. And like, so all these little things and I had no clue what was going on all day. Um, so yeah, that's kind of got a cool wife. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. she, she gets me. She understands like this whole off-road thing and like why I'm passionate about it and supports it and um, obviously encourages it because she bought me a freaking Jeep. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome, dude. So, yeah, so it was um, it was a four-cylinder, super clean. Um, kept it stock for a little while, um, and so while she bought this i was still building the buggy um he said that was like a six-year build process and and so i was daily driving this four-cylinder yj commuting like 50 miles a day and ended up kind of started building it you know put two inch springs on it got some 33s you know the normal progression um and we decided for my 30th birthday, I uh, could do a big wheeling trip, um, you know, because I didn't, wa- so I didn't have a bachelor party uh, because I always wanted my bachelor party to be all my friends on a wheeling trip. And I didn't want to go if I didn't have a Jeep. Like I wasn't going to spend my bachelor party riding with somebody else. So I just didn't have one. So my 30th birthday was kind of like, okay, this is your bachelor party, even though we've been married for you. So it was a huge push to get the buggy done. But I wanted our family to go and like a bunch of friends and stuff. So I had picked up a really good deal on a, uh, for a set of JK 44s. Um, I don't know if you guys want to get into that story too, but basically yeah. I paid 1500 bucks for these. How? How did you rob those from somebody? Okay, so a guy posted on Facebook, uh, one of the Jeep groups, at like 10 o'clock at night, something like that. Uh, Hey, I rolled my Jeep, and so I parted it out. I've got these axles, you know, 1500 bucks. Dude, that's insane. What? That's like $500 less than just the front axle itself. Yeah, so I was like, I, I, I saw the post like two minutes after he posted. I was like, I sent him a message, dude, I'll take him. Like, you know, where do you want to meet up? Turns out he's in San Antonio. 
five minutes from Dallas. I'm like, I don't care. This deal is ridiculous. Uh, so I'm like scrambling, trying to find, you know, go get some cash and, and you know, whatever. And he messages me like an hour later. He's like, man, I really hate to do this, but you know, that post like blew up. People are offering me like three, $4,000 for these axles. I can't sell them to you. And I was like, man, like that's, that's, shit. that's shitty. But I, like, I get it. Like, what am I going to do at this point? Like they're five hours away. Like I can't say or do anything. So I was like really fucking bummed. Uh, and I, you know, just kind of went on with my day. And then, uh, the next morning I get a message from the dude. He's like, dude, my wife is pissed. Like, do you still want these? I was like, yeah, sure. Like what's going on? He's like, dude, she like cussed me out, called me a coward. I can't believe you backed out on this deal after you told this guy, you, you know, he'd buy them. Like, I can't believe you would do that. Like all talking all kinds of shit to her husband. He's like, dude, I got to sell them to you. I was like, same price. He's like, yeah, dude, that's what we agreed to. She's making me do it. Like, okay. <laughs> game insane. back on. And, uh, and he's like, dude, and I'm so pissed off. Like, I'm just going to bring them to you. Like, wow. Fucking kidding me? This is really happening. You're going to drive five hours for this thing. Like it was just crazy. It was the craziest deal. So yeah, we, we met up. I got these, uh, yeah. JK 44s for ridiculously what? cheap. And, uh, so that kind of escalated the, the YJ build, um, because, uh, you know, like I was pushing to get the buggy done. I wanted my dad and, you know, his wife and my wife's parents to come on this trip. And so I was like, okay, I'll JK 44 swap this, uh, this YJ. They can all drive that. I'll finish the buggy and it'll all be great. Okay. Well, I tried to do this in a three month period. Oh God. (laughs) So, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, the YJ is going to be the easiest to finish. Let's get that done. Worst case scenario, I can wheel the YJ. Uh, get that done. Start on the buggy, you know, thrash, like working, you know, day job, staying in the shop, work until midnight, five, six, seven days a week. You know, like I pretty much didn't see my wife for like two months, you know, like not good. For all you married guys out there, <laughs> not good. Uh, you know, this brilliant idea by my super supportive wife, uh, you know, almost backfired because we just didn't see each other. Uh, so anyways, it was all good and, and got the buggy done. I literally drove it out of the shop uh, for that first test drive with no sway bar at 11 o'clock the night before we were supposed to go. And I was like, oh, sway bar, surely we don't need it. It'll be fine. Uh, it wasn't, so I was up until 6 a.m. trying to figure out how to put a sway bar on it uh, and loaded it up on the trailer and, and went to Hot Springs, completely untested. Um, and there you go. The, uh, yeah, so it was, the, like, the trip itself wasn't great. It fleeted the whole time we were there. It was, like, 35 degrees, which April in Arkansas is not supposed to be that cold. Uh, so like we were all miserable. Um, the YJ was flawless. Um, but the buggy, like it's a rear mounted radiator and I've never done that before. So like I had cooling issues, couldn't get it to bleed. Um, you know, stupid fuses kept popping, like all the normal new build problems, especially one that had been thrashed and rushed together in in a two month period. 
Uh, happens. But, but yeah, so everybody's got that. Most people have a story like that where they've slammed something together last minute and just made it work. Yeah. David Freiberger has a quote. Uh, it's like, um, don't get it perfect, get it running. Yep. That's, li- <laughs> that's Graham's it. favorite saying. Yeah, and that's, and that's literally, like, that's what the buggy was. Like, I spent so much time, like, trying to make this thing perfect. And it was going to be, like, you know, it was my masterpiece, right? But it was my first buggy build. Like, I had no business spending that much time on all these perfect little details. And, and you know, I would get stuck on a problem and I wouldn't work on it for two months yeah. because I, you know, all the things I could, all the solutions I didn't like enough, you know, so I just didn't do anything. And that's why it took six years because it would sit for six months at a time. And you like to make it perfect. Uh, yeah. And yeah. this trip like was the push I needed to just like, just get it done. And you know, that's been four years. Right. Deadlines are <laughs> always a good thing in my opinion. Yeah. 100%. Like if you if you're serious about finishing a build, make a commitment to a trip that you can't back out on. You know, like plan to go to King of the Hammers. You'll get your shit done if you plan on going to King of the Hammers. Yep. Like and actually get other people involved and like get commitments from yeah, people. Yeah, once you when you have the trip rolling and like it's happening, you're going regardless of whether it's perfect or not. So yep. then you get in that for me, it was our my most recent uh, experience with this whole trip. crunch was this uh, AOP trip down to Tennessee that we did. It was it was planned like shit was gonna happen. My Jeep was not ready, and I you know, that David Freiberger quote. I had to say that, and I had my buddy telling me because he was there helping me a bunch uh, throughout the entire process that you know it it doesn't have to be perfect. You have a very limited amount of time to get it done. Just get it driving and, and going. And, uh, same deal. It was like, I got the, everything sorted out at five in the morning before we left that day. It was, uh, you know, it's always a good time. And then, you know, had I not had that deadline, I'd still be working on it. It wouldn't be done. I'd still be fine tuning the rear and doing all sorts of crazy stuff with it. And it, uh, realistically it doesn't need it we brought it out last weekend and did great drove great on the road like it's it's done it's not perfect but it works well enough was that your first yeah. time driving it on the road since yeah. you've done the front holy yep. shit with I literally the, changed with the new nothing. passenger and everything and you yep. just fucking sent it buddy <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's fucking that's great how it goes. i mean i knew it would be fine uh because it, I you hoped, really... you hoped it would be fine. No, I fixed the traction bar, which was really the only thing I was crazy worried about. Was that ripping off completely? Sort yeah, of. Yeah, but like that would that would instant you from driving on the road, though. No, but it would be annoying. The only thing it did was puke all of its, um, all the eco box. Uh, oh, that was the eco box. I thought that I'm was pretty sure it's the, the eco box puking everything out. Um, I don't know why. I think it's because it gets too hot. Might need a cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff is like vent line placement and length. Yeah, and I don't that vent night line may need to be up higher. What um, if you do a resi of some sorts? Do like an AN line from one. it. It doesn't take that much fluid, which is the annoying thing. It only take. I mean, it takes a. I think it takes a quart, which is like it fills it up halfway. 
and I think every time I've done it, I've filled it up. It's it's and even when I've had the vent pretty high, like up at the top, um, by the brake booster, it always pukes something out. It's it's never been happy. I don't know if it's designed to run on the highway for extended periods of time, but it works well enough. But anyways, um, so uh, kind of back to the why day. We keep yeah. taking these. Buggy yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> I, my Jeep journey is very intertwined with many Jeeps. Uh, so, anyways, uh, we did this trip. It was great. Um, you know, I had thrown a set of 35s on this. Was, uh, 35s, 410s in a four cylinder. Uh, it was garbage. It was so bad. Um, so, like, trying to, com- like, still trying to commute it and stuff. I'd be doing 60 miles an hour in third gear. It had the worst piston slap. Like every day, I just knew that motor was going to let go. <laughs> like you know, it was very clear that the four cylinder wasn't going to last, and and so I started kind of thinking about engine swap stuff and and what I was going to do. And you know, I looked at four O's and kind of thought about that. But you know, I had the four O in the buggy at this point. My biggest gripe with the buggy is that it doesn't have enough power. Um, and so I, I thought if I was going to do an engine swap, I'm as well do an LS swap. Like that was kind of the next thing that I hadn't really done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I decided to do. Found a, you know, a running pullout for like 800 bucks and, and just kind of started collecting parts. Like I bought probably 80% of the swap secondhand. Um, you know, I got the Novak adapter kit for the X 15, um, you know, it's a 231 with a 241 internals with a six-gear planetary and bought a SYE for you, like, not used and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I was trying to do it on a budget and, um, you know, I built my own wiring harness and, uh, you know, myself how to do all that kind of stuff, which is, it's crazy what's on the internet. Yeah. The fact that you can sit there and, and have a complete pinout of, you know, an entire generation of LS engines and, and made it to a jeep and you know it, it all works and you just found it from pictures on the internet is crazy um so yeah i basically we decided we were going to move to colorado um shortly after i started the engines uh and so that was another good deadline to <laughs> to just get it done and so i kind of crashed about a month or so uh, same thing can every night after work trying to get it all done so it's um, the first motor was just a stock 5.3 with a Texas Speed cam, um, no back headers, like I said, AX15. And I um, finished the swap, paid a local tuner to kind of street tune it, and proceeded to do a burnout from every single stop sign that I left for like three days um, and eventually twisted the output shaft of the transmission on. Um, so yeah, that lasted, like I said, I think it lasted three days. Um, and then decided to go ahead and go 488s and bought a reman AX 15, uh, like the most I've ever spent on freaking AX 15. Um, but I was like, at this point, it was like, okay, this thing has to be done. It has to be running. It has to be reliable. We're moving in a month. Can't keep working on that. 
So re-gearing to 488s, I think, has kind of been the key. Because um, trying to do burnouts with 410s and 35s was really hard on the transmission. So I haven't had a single issue with it since, uh, transmission-wise. That's a really interesting thing. And, like, I was kind of pondering on what transmission you had in there, thinking it was, like, an NV35 or 4500. Because, um, like, I could not picture putting an AX15 and uh behind an ls in my rig it just it wouldn't live the rig's too heavy and even with the gearing i don't see it like surviving yeah and when you look into it everybody always talks about you know breaking ax15s um but i i scoured like i went all the way like went back to pirate looking at posts 10 years ago trying to find actual pictures of breaking an ax15 and it was all like oh i know a guy who knows a guy and i could not find a single person who legitimately broke an ax15 like i'm sure there is like i know like they're, they're known for having to speak third gear and yep like i broke it and i called novak and i was like dude like did i just waste a whole bunch of time is this like is this legitimately a problem you guys sell these adapter kits and he's like honestly dude We've never heard of a customer breaking an AX15. <laughs> like, well, yay for me, I guess. <laughs> I, my favorite AX15 story when everybody says that they they blow up is literally I drove home from how how far away is Roush from where uh, I am? You think six hours? hours? Yeah, I I drove six hours home on a transmission that was filled with only water. Uh, and that transmission's fine. I pulled it apart. I had fifth gear in backwards because I rebuilt it quick on a bench at one point. Uh, threw a new synchro in. That was fine. Uh, it it just takes it. It doesn't care. Uh, I'm I'm in the I don't know. I don't know how people blow them up. Yeah, well, and it's I, like when I was looking into it, trying to figure out like you know how screwed am I? They're basically an R154, which is a Toyota transmission that is in the Supra. Really? So, so like they make like they're they hold up to hundreds of horsepower in in these drift cars, right? And like so, um, you know, like JZX Chasers and and some of these other uh, Japanese cars, like sedans and stuff, they're all you know R one fifty fours. The gearbox itself is is pretty much identical. Like a lot of the parts are interchangeable. Um, it, it's different bell housing, different tail housing, but. It's it's essentially a super trans, um, and and so it's like okay, well if they're surviving in in that, which I know you know traction, weight, and all that kind of stuff is a big tires, uh, but but still like it's it's a pretty stout transmission um, for You're for what it is. Me deny that. I yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So um, so I I decided like I said I bought a reman unit um, that. Uh, that's still in it. Um, it is on its second motor. Um, oh, we moved every LS swap. Yeah. It's never one motor. Yeah. 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 We, uh, so we moved to Colorado, um, about three, three and a half years ago. And I live, so I live in Colorado Springs. So we're right below Pikes peak and there's tons of trails in the area that are all just forest, you know, national forest service roads and, and stuff like that. And 
so I was snow wheeling um, with a with a coworker, and we made it like an hour into the trail, um, and it was just like an hour straight of second gear rev limiter, just trying to crawl through snow, um, and I ended up spinning. What was that? Spun four rod bearings. You got oh, damn. You spun four rod bearings. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Spun four of them and all eight of them were pretty torched. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was a year, a little over a year ago. Um, and I was like really hungry for more horsepower. Uh, and so I you know, and this was like right in the middle of COVID when LS prices were going crazy and you couldn't find them. So I was like really trying to find a six O and, and build a little bit. So it sat uh, completely disassembled for like a year. Um, decided once again, you know, here's the pick a trip and set a deadline. We decided we wanted to go to Easter Jeep Safari this year. Um, my best friend's dad bought a AEV built uh, JK I've been to Moab like I think four or five times at this point, and but my wife had never gone with me. Um, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, like, let's do the Eastern Jeep Safari thing. Like, he's a new Jeeper. My wife's never done it. You know, we'll do the whole Eastern Jeep Safari thing and and whatever. It's like, okay, well, buggy, way too much for Moab. It's like it's I've had it out there a couple times, and you know, Pritchett is easy. Um, area BFE was still closed at the time, so I like, couldn't do any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's like not worth hauling the trailer around from trail to trail. And, and so decided we needed to get the YJ back together. Um, so I bought a short block that was built with, uh, you know, flat top pistons and Gen 4 rods and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I hand ported my heads, got them decked to bump the compression up a little bit and, you know, put it all back together. But while it was apart, I was like, Hey, you know what? We should paint the frame and paint the underbody and mm-hmm. paint the axles and kind of give it an overhaul, which turned into basically a frame restoration. Um, and, uh, you know, again, not seeing my wife for two months leading up to it. <laughs> uh, cause I didn't learn my lesson the first time. Um, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been running since Easter Jeep Safari finished it like three or four days before we left. Um, in the process, like taught myself how to tune LSs. Cause like when I moved out here, the tune that the guy in Texas had put on it, uh, I tried to drive to the pipe, the top of Pike's peak, which is like 14,000 feet in elevation. And, uh, the guy that tuned it had turned all of the fuel trims off and, and stuff. So it wasn't compensating for elevation. I made it to like 10,000 feet and it had flooded so bad when I pulled the spark plug out, it literally ejected fuel like it was hydro locking with fuel um and so you know pulled all the plugs out coasted down like eight miles down pikes peak highway just coasting because i couldn't get it to start um and uh yeah so uh taught myself how to tune after that um and uh you know that was was, that's another fun skill like anybody i seriously encourage Anybody like if you're if you're hesitant to dive into this kind of stuff, like there's so much out there on the internet. Pretty much everything on YouTube 
you know, it's, it's crazy. So, um, but yeah, that, so that Jeep, basically the way it is now is, is pretty much my vision for it. Um, just a clean daily that I can drive up into the mountains and, and have fun. You know, it's, it's quick enough that it's a ton of fun to drive on the road. Um, it'll do 75 miles an hour down the highway for hours. Um, and not care, uh, you know, 35s lock front rear and 48, 488s is, is a fun little wheel and rig that, you know, does a lot of stuff that's not fun in the buggy anymore. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great, like in between, um, you know, to have that street rig that you can still have fun in and, and wheel, you don't want to be crazy with the buggy and, and, you know, since I have the buggy, it doesn't need to progress any further. Yep. You know, and it's, it's still sprung under, it's on one and a half inch springs, uh, sprung under, um, with custom steering and that's pretty much it. So it's super simple, but it has 11 inches of travel. Um, so it, it flexes out great. Um, but it is leaf sprung. So it, carries the tire pretty much on every single obstacle which you know again entertainment value yeah that's uh, people it, love it <laughs> so, like, moab was so much fun because we were wheeling with jails and gladiators and, and all that kind of stuff and, you know whole entire crate like all the time and then you got this lopey v8 like coming out of a jeep it's just it's fun it's just a fun rig like couldn't ask for it to do anymore that's cool that's man cool. Yeah. Um, so, did you touch the wheelbase on the YJ at all? Uh, yeah, actually, um, just a little bit. So it's um, I have I redrilled my spring perches, uh, one inch front to yep. rear. So it's two inches longer than stock because I uh, I basically run stock bump stops, um, and so my rear fenders are cut as much as you can cut without actually getting into the body. And I was still rubbing on the, uh, the inner wheel well, like, um, the front side at the rocker. Um, and so that was the main motivation was to get the 35 far enough away that I wasn't getting into that pinch scene because I didn't want to trim anymore and trim like into the interior. So last week we talked to, um, Mustang Craig and he was talking about going spring under as a way to help with um what was it? It was axle wrap trying to pull some um more travel out of it. With your rig being spring under, do you run into issues with the V eight of it wrapping the rear axle? So I have really bad axle wrap. Um that's probably the one thing that I do plan on addressing with it. Um, the flip side is because I have so little lift, a lot of times it doesn't wrap very far before it touches the spring pad. Like it has a, it has a bump stop about halfway between the spring mount uh, and the axle bump stop where when the spring starts to wrap, and turn into an S it actually touch it touches that bump stop a little bit. Um, and I only have like three inches of up travel in the back. Um, so it, it kind of stops itself 
to a point where it's like I've, I've yet to have a catastrophic uh, like driveline failure, but I also like wheel knowing that it's back there. So like, you know, I give it a good first bounce, but I always let out as it's coming back down. And then once the springs compress, I get back on it. So I'm not just like, you know, laying into the throttle, bouncing limiter, trying, you know, to blow a U-joint out. <laughs> so I do kind of wheel it knowing that, that it's bad. All right. I respect that. I, I'm sorry. I definitely have to say that the uh, choice in rims is refreshing on that Jeep. What are those? They're the Pinters? Yeah, maybe Pinter Deadlocks. Yeah, those look good. Thanks. Yeah, they. Uh, I've always loved those wheels. Like, I mean, and I love like five spoke style. You know, I don't know if it's kind of a retro style or whatever, but um, and like being that it's JK axles, I thought it was like a kind of a good fit um, with you know a newer style beadlock and and whatever. I got a ridiculous good deal on those too. So um, painted them white and. Yeah, they've been great. They're a always, nice little touch. Yeah, I always have a hard time with like, you know, I love white, but, you know, white doesn't really go well with chrome or, you know, polished and, and I'm partially colorblind. So I always have a hard time like color matching stuff too, but I didn't want black wheels. and. Uh, yeah, I think black would have looked weird. I mean, it would have worked, but it wouldn't have. I think the white does look good. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Um, So do you plan on doing anything else with the suspension on the YJ? Or are you keeping it kind of the same for the time being just because it's simple and it works well? Yeah, so like I said, the only thing I plan on adding is um, some kind of anti-wrap bar. Um, You know, like you had a conversation with Chris Welch a while back on a couple episodes back. Um, Like I'm really intrigued uh, by what he's done on on his XJ and and kind of that single link bar style anti-wrap and, um, you know, Jesse Haynes did it on his rock sword, um, you know, ultra four build and something like that would be really interesting. Cause it's, uh, you know, it's because it's so low, like I've got a flat belly skid and, and full exhaust and, and stuff. Um, it's kind of hard to fit a traditional, um, you know, in a bar. So I, I'm really intrigued by, by what he did and how that's been working for him. So I've kind of thought about going that route. Um, but I love the fact that it's still leaf sprung. Like I really considered going, you know, like a set of 12 inch 2.0 coilovers or something like that and, and linking it and stuff. But, um, you know, I already had a Jeep like that. So I, I, I figured why not try like, like let's see if this will work and, and how long, long it'll last. Cause it's like, I feel like most people, you know, if you go, if you stay leaf sprung, you go spring over. If you go LS, you usually link it. Like, you know, it's not very common to stay sprung under. And at the time, to my knowledge, it was the first spring under JK44 swap rig. Um, yeah, because who buys JK44s to put under their YJ and keep the factory un, un, or spring under Please. suspension? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yep. So that was kind of cool to, to be the first. It was frustrating, but to... to you know, it's kind of hard to find examples yeah, but, of, of what know, people have done, but 
Yeah, I I get it though. That's you know focus on what's important, not reinventing the wheel. It already has a suspension system. You just wanted to change out the old axles for a better yeah. set of axles. So like, why why bother reinventing all that when it already works? You can tweak it if necessary down the line, but. Overall, how do the Leafs ride? Do you have to do anything to get them? Does it... I don't know. I've never really... I don't know if I've ever been in a YJ. I don't know how they it, ride. I just know that it, my... All the full-size Jeep stuff rides like crap. Or at least yeah, my Yeah, it does pretty good. Um, so they're Rubicon Express uh, spring over springs. So they're a reverse-wrapped spring. So they have a pretty good arch to them. Um, but they're a pretty light spring pack. So, you know, pro- part of the problem with traditional like spring over swaps or even stock leaf springs is they're already flat. Yep. And so they, they ride pretty rough because they, you know, with a flat spring, you have to have a pretty stiff rate in order to support the Jeep. So with a big arch in the spring, you can run a little bit softer rate. You get more travel, a, a better ride, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's pretty good. Um, I, before Easter Jeep Safari, I built a spare tire carrier. Um, and adding all that weight to the back of the Jeep really helped. Um, it's pretty light. You know, it's got aluminum uh, armor. Um, and it's, it's pretty bare bones. I mean, it's standard winch and, and stuff like that. But it's relatively light. Um, and so it, it did have a little bit of harshness in the rear. Um, and so that, that tire carrier made a huge difference. So it's not bad, you know, for what it is. Nice. Yeah. I was trying to fish. See, I got to try to make the J 20 ride a little better that I've got. And it, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Yeah. Cause I think like the J trucks and, and stuff, you know, I mean, they were a utility truck back yeah, in the day. It's, it's, they probably have twice as many leaf springs yeah, in, in the different. spring pack as, as I do. Yeah, different, completely different yeah. expected use case. So Yeah, and those those springs are, are usually super flat and super clapped out by this point. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think somebody swapped them at some point. And, yeah. I mean, you feel it. It doesn't feel like it has any suspension. It could probably be on two-by-fours. I wouldn't notice a difference. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not that. So it's got... Um, I put Bilstein shocks that are made for like four inches of lift and relocated all the shock mounts and, and stuff. So, um, it, it rides like I said, pretty good. That's exciting. So we've never been out West pretty much like, well, Luke has a little bit, but never to Colorado. Uh, what's one of your favorite places to wheel out there and why? Um, Carnage Canyon is, is a lot of fun. There's a lot of, um, a lot of bonus lines and, and stuff. One of the kind of one of the, the downfalls, I guess you could say of the buggy is it was built for wheeling in the Midwest. So loose hill climbs, ledges, um, you know, a little bit of mud here and there. And so I didn't really anticipate, uh, things like rocker clearance and, and chassis width and wheelbase and, and stuff like that. Like it's 117 inches, which is awesome for hill climbs. But out here, it's all like super technical boulder fields. Um, and 
I get pinched off on a lot of lines where like I'll drop in between two boulders and I'll like hit both rockers, which is wild because my rocker height is 40 inches. Um, wow. Yeah. But I'm 65 inches wide uh, because it's a two by six rocker replacement that I went to the first body line on a, on a Comanche. So it's, you know, four inches wider than a stock Comanche. Hmm. So, um, that's been kind of an adjustment. Like there's a lot of, a lot of lines out here that I get a little bit frustrated because I get, like I said, I get pinched off at the rocker. but it's crazy. The, the size of the boulders out here and, and what's so cool, like I said, is all the bonus lines and, and technical lines that you can, can take. Um, I, I would say probably, yeah, probably Carnage Canyon is my favorite that I've done here. I haven't been able to get out to like Montrose and, and some of those, um, big buggy trails like 10 falls and, and stuff yet. Um, so, but yeah, the, the wheeling in Colorado is totally different than, than the Midwest and, and stuff. And it's, it's definitely been like the buggy's not really suited for it. So it's been an adjustment. Um, I got a really stop myself from thinking about building another buggy (laughs) just because I can't make everything out here. So, yeah, it sounds like you have similar wheeling to what we have and what you're used to is now where like Luke is down South where it's mostly like Hills with ledges where now you're kind of into the fun technical stuff. So that's pretty cool that Colorado offers similar to what we have uh, like up in Northeast. Yeah. Uh, It's all like big granite fields, you know? So like, excellent traction um but yeah the rocks are just crazy big you definitely don't get that kind of stuff in in the midwest oh. yeah, do you have you any crazy rocks um cody ask your tire yep. question all right well all right that's actually really good <laughs> I was, i've been waiting so... for you to ask it <laughs> so you can you can say stickies but we try to keep it just to mainly dot tires what's your favorite and your worst oh i say it fucked up every time <laughs> Fuck me, Grant. you're in my head dude red <laughs> yeah. motherfucker god damn it what's your most hated dot tire and your favorite dot tire um i love the nitto trail grapplers uh that's what i run on the yj um they've been an amazing tire i've got probably twenty five thousand miles on that tire um and they're probably 80 percent still um they're the best radial tire that i've ever wheeled with like i i used to um only wheel on tsls because uh, radials were garbage like i cut so many sidewalls trying to wheel radials never had any issues with tsls and, and so i was really honestly i was hesitant uh like when i started building the yj to to you know not just go back to a 30 inch tsl because it was such a good tire back in the day hmm. but no the, the nitto has been um amazing um i don't really like bfgs to be honest um the ats or the mts just to clarify both yeah their ats suck dick yeah, the um, the ATs, they're loud. They don't wear very good. Um, really? They, uh, and if there's any mud whatsoever, they turn into flicks, um, no matter the wheel speed. Uh, and uh, like the MTs, I don't care if it's the KM2s, KM3s, the original ones. I think the original ones probably wield the best. Um, 
but I just have never really been impressed. Uh, they don't have like their lug spacing is too tight to be a good mud tire. Um, and that kind of keeps them from performing as well in the rocks. Like if you're in Moab and stuff where you got slick rock and all that crazy traction, they're fine. But I've never been a BFG guy. Yeah, I agree. I've never, I've never seen a BFG MT do anything too impressive. I know that they're pretty quiet on the road, but like, I don't know, we're fucking off road. Why do we really care how loud they are on the road? Yeah, right. Um, I drive an LS swapped YJ. I don't care what the fuck yeah. they are. Like. <laughs> exactly. I know that my dad swears by the ATs, but he puts them on Ugh. a tow rig. So like, I'm gonna be honest with you. The the I got the generals like. I th- I've said this before, but I got the general ATs on my truck and I fucking hate them. They are dog shit, terrible tires and they're very similar to the BFG ATs. Yeah. It just yeah, so I've heard bad. that. Like they are not quiet whatsoever. You're right. They wear terribly. And granted, that's two totally different tire compounds, but still. And they're loud as fuck. And they suck in the snow. They are not good in the snow whatsoever. I hate them. I wish I never bought them. <laughs> my dad swears by the. Uh... Well, he used to swear by the KO2s, but now he's swapped over to the uh, uh, Cooper AT3s. But that's entirely unrelated, I suppose, and I'm just going to sit here with my signature look of superiority for the Nitto supremacy. He's the first one. Granted, nobody's ever going to be preaching uh, generals LeBlanc like me. Was, so. Nick LeBlanc was a fan. All right. I mean, I don't know. I get it. Has he ever run oh. a set? He's yeah. run every tire. He's ran every tire. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also like the Cooper MTs. I will give them credit. They work really well on John and Casey's rig. I don't know. He yeah, slides d- the sidewall. Yeah, but like that's not that's I nothing know, coming from you. I literally <laughs> praise your trep radials all the time, <laughs> and you used to slice at least two tires a season. So. <laughs> at least I think by the end it was like three. I don't know. Still better than the MTRs, though. Am I right, boys? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> things, you look at them wrong, and it turns into a bad batch, and they all pop. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the MTRs have probably the worst sidewall of any radio I've seen. But they're Kevlar. How are they? They can't be bad. <laughs> it's just a bad. It was just a sprinkle of Kevlar, so they yeah, could put it on the label. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Your worst was BFGs too. Interesting. No thoughts on Patagonias. I've honestly never wheeled with anybody that has them. I, I've so I'll reserve my thoughts for another day. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Even now, Moab, you've never, um, never wheeled anybody with Patagonias. No, I. Uh, the yeah, the last trip it was a lot of it was a lot of Nitto, a lot of BFG, um, some Coopers. But yeah, Here, no. I thought you know everybody out west was it was just crawling with Patagonias and the Patagonia lovers, but yeah, yeah, I mean you see them all over the place on on social media and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, maybe the how years. much of that's advertising? I think I think a big part. Like I think they definitely leaned into the social media influencer model and and really tried to get quote unquote traction uh, with their with their and. Uh, yeah i'm sure it definitely does good enough off off off-road but they don't (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Richie's property maybe. is not a uh, uh, a fair test for those it, tires, unfortunately. Yeah, but like property fucking New England. No, but like when it's dry as a bone at Ma Bell and Cody's Jeep is walking around me and he's on what was it, thirty six IROX with yeah. one locker at that point in <laughs> yeah. time and I'm on forties <laughs> and beating on it, like bouncing rev limiter to the point I broke a motor mount. I think that that's a fair enough time to just say they suck. Yeah, yeah. those IROX were dog shit too. Um so stainless. I got a question. How did you end up with the nickname or the username of Stainless Jeeper? So, What's the backstory on that? Yeah, so you know, I went to I went to engineering school um, and realized that engineers don't actually get to build stuff, which was the whole reason I went to engineering school. And uh, and then I also found Pirate Four by Four, and basically stopped paying attention to class. I'd literally take my laptop to class and just read pirate four by four build threads <laughs> during the lecture and not pay attention. Uh, and so I dropped out of engineering school and started doing stainless fabrication, uh, building equipment for food processing plants and installation and stuff like that. So um, basically for the last almost 10 years, that's been my career is uh, stainless fabrication. Um, so that's that's kind of where that comes from. Oh, that's fucking so, cool. So I find that really funny because my grade point average in high school probably would have went up if it wasn't for Pirate 4x4 in the last two years of high school. Um, but that is interesting. So is it all TIG work or is there any... Maybe- yeah, 99% of what I do is TIG. Um, even... Even the Jeep stuff and uh, and mild steel stuff, I I pretty much TIG everything. Um, mainly just because it's what I'm good at. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it, I don't I don't do any MIG work on stainless. Um, so. Can you so, MIG stainless? What's that? Can you MIG stainless? You can. Um, it's. It just doesn't look very good. Um, you can like it's it's pretty common in like high production volume structural type stuff. They do it a lot in like tank building, pressure vessel building, and, and stuff where you're not necessarily uh, worried about the appearance or you're welding something very thick and you need to add a lot of fill mm-hmm. um, at a rapid rate because that's that's the the kind of the tricky thing about welding stainless is it works really easy with heat. Um, and so when you're doing something like, so you're building a big pressure vessel that has a half inch thick, um, sidewall. If you were to try and TIG weld that, it would take five or six passes, uh, and all that heat input would cause it to ripple, um, right there, which, you know, would cause other problems structurally and and stuff like that. So that would be an application for me. Or if you're doing like big structural platforms and, and stuff where you're like stainless square tubing you can do mig welding you can arc weld it too um actually the arc welding is it looks pretty um it looks pretty cool uh, but mig welding doesn't look great so i did a lot of work with stainless um through stamping 
And for me, one of the weird things was the properties that it has in regards to heat. Um, through stamping it out and trying to make like, uh, we made a lot of fuel cell caps and GDI injector covers. And you'll probably appreciate this, but we had to wait a half hour to check parts after they came off of the press for the heat to dissipate. Otherwise, our readings would be off. And it was yeah. a real pain to adjust the tooling on that because of the heat effects and uh it would warp in the radiuses and then when it would cool it would actually come back to true yeah so i uh stainless is crazy like i do a lot of like pipe manifolds for like water treatment stuff and so say i've got like a four foot long pipe manifold that has four welds in it i'll max i'll actually make it like i'll fit it up a quarter inch long um, because you, it basically shrinks about a quarter inch per weld, right? So I'll cut all the pieces a 16th of an inch long per weld. And once I weld it all out, it'll shrink a quarter inch to get to my final dimension. That's what's fun and challenging about stainless fabrication is dealing with, you know, the warpage, the shrinkage, uh, you know, the distortion, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally understand that because with the GDI stuff, um, because it was a weldment fixture, we were trying to hold less than um, 1.5 thousandths of uh, circularity or roundness and then trying to hold the perpendicularity for the uh, inserted piece was another problem. And they would come off the press like four thousands out of round, and we would have to make the tooling like three to four thousands oversize. And then when it would cool, it would just pop back into the perfect shape. And it was the weirdest thing to work on. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Even like doing frames, like square tubing frames, if something is out of square, I can make it move by the direction that I weld it because as you weld, the heat builds. And so it warps more towards the end of the weld as it does at the beginning of the weld. And you can use that to pull like stainless is crazy. That's truly wild. Now with you doing everything in tag, is that part of why some of the projects took longer? Uh, yes, that would be a fair assessment <laughs> for sure. Okay, I, and like I'm not asking to judge. I'm just asking out of curiosity because my experience with doing TIG is uh, certain tool steels like A6, uh, some A2, and a little bit of the D series like D2 uh, materials in uh, like cool and die applications, and it wasn't something that was extremely common for me to do, but it always took me forever compared to making it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's the, the metal deposition rate, right? When you're MIG welding, you're running two to 300 inches per minute on a 030, 035 wire. Whereas when I TIG, I'm using an 045 wire, at, you know, and maybe moving, I mean, I don't even know what the transit, it's like maybe 10 inches a minute, right? So yeah, it's, 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 it's so much slower. Yeah, and it's a uh, much finer art too because it's really by eye. Um, yeah, and I've got nothing but respect for the people that can like take three of the sticks or two of the sticks and doing a fill pass 
completely right. that in there. That's crazy to me that you can do that. It's just yeah, it's, a, that, and I think that's what like keeps me interested is there's so much nuance in in TIG welding and like the hand eye coordination and you know it's <clears throat> MIG welding. The guy that taught me how to TIG weld, he always used to say you could teach a monkey to MIG, and it was always like that was always so funny to me. But you know if you've got a good like a good MIG welder set up right, you don't even really have to look at it. You can just listen to it. And as long as you're moving in the right direction, it's going to be a good weld. Mm-hmm. And if you can brush your teeth and set up the dials right. You can make weld these. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and y'all are making me feel real fucking dumb right now. <laughs> I'm a terrible welder. <laughs> I'm going to get a better you know, machine, clearly. Yeah. Machine setup is 90% of make one. I'm sure somebody yeah. will give me shit about that, but that's my opinion. No, that uh, makes sense. You can also fill a lot easier with a MIG. Like, if you have a gap, because I'm a terrible fabricator, you can <laughs> fill in the gap a lot easier. Yeah, that no, that is... There's no gap filling. It's perfect fitment every time from you. It's, it's just for better penetration. Yeah. <clears throat> but... So, I have to ask... Um, this is normally Kish's question, but he's just sitting there quietly in the corner. Do you have any small animal facts, more specifically <laughs> raccoon facts? Cody's actually the one that normally asks that. <laughs> yeah, I started out with that, and then me and Richie kind of took off with it. <laughs> but I just wanted to shoot a jab at Richie because he's been quiet. <laughs> I, don't have any, uh, I don't have any raccoon facts. I Any small animal. Any small animal? Well, shoot, the, the one fact I had was elephants can't jump. They're the only mammal that can't jump. <laughs> I would pay to see an elephant try to jump. Right? I know, I was thinking, I was trying to visualize that too. I was like, yeah, I guess I could see that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of ashamed to admit that something so large, I never even considered not being able to jump. Wait, are you telling me a giraffe can fucking jump? Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. They can jump pretty far too. Wait, hold on. I'd like you said mammals. It's the only mammal that can't jump. Yeah. So you're telling me an el- or not an elephant, a whale can jump. I'm smelling cap here, boys. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll be more specific. Mammal legs. With legs. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I've seen whales jump like they go flying out of the ocean. They jump out of the water. Oh, yeah, 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 they can do that. Fuck, you're right. Damn it. Oh, man, I'm a piece of shit. Call me out like that. Damn, I'm horrible. <laughs> Terrible. Um, so you said that you go to Hot Springs and S'more quite, or like those are your yearly trips, right? Yep. Uh, do you have like a set schedule that you guys go on for that or what? No, um, that's the, I'm the worst planner. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's usually a, Hey, what are you doing next month? Question is kind of the, the, the most notice we give ourselves. So. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, well, formally, we're going to extend you an invite to the web wheelers ball. Uh, it's at Roush Creek, Pennsylvania. It's probably a little um, far. 
A little far. Yeah, that's probably like, what, like twenty something hours. Probably similar. I always yeah. wanted to go to Roush Creek. Hey, oh, come on down, buddy. It's in um, Labor Day weekend. That's September. But if he's got a family, they usually like families do things on Labor Day, you know. <laughs> Listen, yeah. man, I'm I'm being polite here and extending the invite. <laughs> I, don't no, know I appreciate I, it. I I would uh, I would love to. Um, if diesel wasn't. Six dollars a gallon. I'd probably be inclined to to do it. Uh, totally get that. Gas is not going to be cheap for me on that because I'm going from Tennessee to Pennsylvania, so I can only imagine what diesel would be from Colorado to Pennsylvania. I can only imagine what it'd be from Massachusetts to Tennessee, but who who would know that, (laughs) Graham? Just kidding. <laughs> I, we're, I'm teasing uh, Luke on that. I don't know if you know much about it, but we drove down to Tennessee to visit him and come wheel down there. And that's half the distance that he now has to travel to Pennsylvania. So I'm just giving him a hard time about that. <laughs> How's the wheeling in Tennessee? It looks like a good place to go. It's fucking awesome. Um, so my experience has been AOP Adventure Off-Road Park. Um, that's really the only spot that I've gone to, but like, it's a large park by new England standard Harlan. Uh, black mountain. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to black mountain too. Uh, I don't have much to say about black mountain just because, um, it's the same style, just more spread out. It's much more spread out and like AOP, right. You can pull out of the, uh, main camping area and be on a black trail that leads into double reds or uh, double black diamonds which would be the equivalent of a red trail in new england um they really can based off of skiing huh yeah some yeah. skiing terms right there um and that's literally like right out of the parking lot and then every time that i've been there we've gone and we've just pushed or I've pushed the envelope and the trails that I've experienced have just been getting better and better. Um, and we've got wind rock. I'm planning on making a trip out there at some point, but right now it's, it's just been AOP fever if I'm being honest. Uh, and then there's Choco Morris Hawks pride, um, Dirty Turtles, like six hours, if I remember correctly. Gulches is like six hours. So there's a lot of wheeling around me. I've just been going to AOP because it's awesome. And it's an hour and 20 minutes away. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the way S'more was for us when we were in college. It was it was just over an hour. And, you know, so we went there as much as we possibly could. Yeah. Um, I really wish that next year AOP would offer, um, like the yearly passes because I would totally buy one, but I'm content even if it's going to be 20 bucks to wheel there. Cause you can't really complain about it being 20 bucks to wheel there. There's not a lot of fun you can have for $20 nowadays. Mm. No, there is not. It's uh, ridiculous. Well, it seems like we're kind of slowing down here. So what, where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So, I mean, I post most of my Jeep content, uh, stainless cheaper on Instagram. Um, my business is uh, cam industries. Uh, I primarily do stainless fabrication. I do do custom automotive stuff occasionally, if it's uh, interesting enough. 
people are willing to pay for TIG work. I do some 3D design. I got some 3D scanners that I'm trying to kind of work some consulting. Yep, we lost yeah. you. Talking to the mic. That? Talking to the mic. Uh, <laughs> you it off on us. I'm literally like yelling at my oh, screen weird. here. Anyways, okay. um, so yeah, camindustriesco.com is my website. Um, yeah, Stainless Jeeper on Instagram. I try and try and post pretty regularly uh, buggy stuff as, as much as I can and, and uh, fabrication stuff on the Insta stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Well, people who are listening, make sure you go follow him on Instagram. And thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for coming on. It was really awesome talking to you. It's really cool hearing from somebody from Colorado. That's really fucking exciting to hear all the different stuff out there. And uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for the invite. I feel like we probably could have talked for three more hours, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but that's uh, that's for a campfire one of these days. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, definitely. Well, well, you Graham, probably you... <laughs> can't oh. expect you to make it to Pennsylvania from Colorado, but uh, we'll um, we've got to meet up at some point. We'll. If everybody we've talked to is just sounds like an absolute blast so one of these days yep. we'll yeah get a big uh get a big east coast caravan coming out here and do colorado utah go down maybe we'll do king hey yeah, i'm down to. for it. out of that if we do that we gotta head up crazy k's they'll probably kill us if we don't head them up yep. we go down to utah yeah. <laughs> and sam and i don't know not we don't have too many west coast friends yet but Oh hell yeah! Well, thank you very much. And who wants to close it out? Um, let's see. What do we got? Triple the time that you expect it to take if you're going to take it. And, and don't um, bother buying a Comanche if you're just going to turn it into a buggy. You'll get all the hate on the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>